This is Restless. Well, welcome back everyone to this restless summer. It is restless summer where we try to do a few more interviews. We just kick back, we're relaxed. Uh, we're not as uptight as we normally are for the rest of the restless calendar. Um, this is Pastor Michael, and I am obviously with Matt. Matt, how are you doing on this beautiful, sunny, restless summer day? I am doing well. I am doing what the transient millennials do every summer, which is move. So I just got out of a rental and uh, hope to join the property owning class soon here and therefore uh, would be able to vote at the founding of the country. That would be a, that's a highlight for me that I am earning my right to vote as, a, as it's meant to be. We, we can only hope that one day it will return <laughs> to uh, only the property class to be. So if you're moving by. this summer, I'm with you. I'm doing that summertime activity as well. Love Let's it. all get our de security <laughs> deposits back, right? <laughs> uh, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, um, we're not alone uh, because it's rest of summer. We're trying to get a lot of other voices here on the podcast. And today uh, we have the voice of Colin Redimer. Colin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I know you're saying it's a restless summer, but it's a uh, it's also kind of a restful summer. You know, it's a re mm. restful restlessness is sort of what we're up to today. I love it. I love it. Well, Colin, why don't you uh, go ahead and just introduce yourself? I don't have a bio for you. And so if you just want to tell us uh, what you want to tell us about yourself, what you want people to know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Colin Redimer. I am the vice president of the Davenant Institute. Uh, I was one of the co-founders of Davenant Hall, which is our online college that, uh, you know, folks can find. It's, we also have a, a property, Davenant House, so it's kind of a hybrid model. It's not, not wholly online. I teach at uh, a small Catholic liberal arts college here in the Bay Area where I live, and I own one pair of extremely bright red slippers. Mm. Awesome. That's very important to know. Glad yep. you brought that up. Well, it's the kind of thing that wouldn't make it in a normal bio, so I'm trying to give you guys something spicy. I love it. It's, so, it's what our people are here for, really. So we have you on because, I mean, I've been uh, kind of following Davenant for a while. I'm very interested in what you guys are doing and uh, have been listening to uh, some of the work, reading some of the work coming out of Davenant. Um, but really, I say that, but the reason I really wanted you on is because a few months ago, you were the only person to like a tweet that I made that I thought was maybe one of my best tweets that I've ever tweeted. <laughs> so I tweeted uh, something about, I don't remember the exact tweet. I should have looked it up before this, but oh, it no. was something like uh, a <laughs> shout out to the flag people because they've really made a comeback over the last couple of years uh, because everybody buys flags now. And I thought this was great. I thought this was hilarious. You're the only other person that liked this tweet. So Welcome and, on the show. <laughs> thank you. I, I, you know, you never know what uh, liking a tweet will get you in life, uh, but That's apparently right. it'll, it'll get you a spot on a podcast. I, I have a neighbor who lives across the street from me who literally every new thing, you know, they get the new flag oh, and yep. switch Perfect. the flag out in the exact same location. Uh, and I don't really know them that well. You know, they're, they're reasonably good neighbors, so I'm not trying to sort of disparage them. But I think that was that must have been in my mind because I just I actually kind of think like, they, they must have a flag budget. Yeah. You know, they must, be, they must be sitting there saying, 
all right, we got to, you know, $10 in the flag jar every week because, you know, the next thing's coming down the pipe. <laughs> We're going to have to get it. They're not you know. even that cheap, by the way. Like, if you look at, like, some of these merchants that are selling flags for whatever, you know, whatever political thing or, you know, whatever the new thing is, they're not, like, the cheapest things in the world. Oh, and totally. So- or, or in the Bay Area, the Warriors just won, you know, the oh, national yeah, NBA yeah. thing. And so, the, you know, the Ukraine got swapped out by the Warriors. And I'm thinking, <laughs> there's another 50 bucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. man. Coming soon, a restless flag. I hope Davenant will also get their own flag uh, to get in on this because this sounds too good to be true. Yeah, I can't uh, believe we haven't done that already, by the way. I will I will state my appreciation for uh, uh, Davenant and Colin at a slightly deeper level than Pastor Michael's <laughs> self-serving Twitter promo. Um, um, I actually really have appreciated um, a book Brad Littlejohn wrote on classical two kingdoms uh, theology and then the what I've gotten to see, I don't have a hard copy of it, but of the natural theology uh, Davenant guide. And mm. I think that they are putting out some um, classical uh, Christian uh, material that I think is really helpful and really interesting. And mm. it's kind of meeting a niche um, that, uh, yeah, I think is missing in a lot of places. Um, before I ask you about that, Colin, can I ask you a question that all our cage stage Calvinist listeners need the answer to? before we get anywhere else is to teach at a Catholic, um, small Catholic school. Are you in fact a Roman Catholic? Uh, I am not a Roman Catholic. So yes. And, and, you know, how, how Catholic is the small liberal arts college that I teach at, you know, this, this is something that maybe on another podcast we could talk about. Um, but the answer is like most, uh, Catholics, you know, Catholic colleges got started uh, a little bit later in the United States than most of the kind of traditional Protestant started colleges. So you think the right. Ivy Leagues, they're almost all started by Protestants for Protestants. Um, and then the Catholic immigrants got here, so they sort of founded their own institutions, um, which means there's a great book on this called The Dying of the Light uh, that looks at the kind of process of secularization in higher right. education. And, um, and <clears throat> it basically says all the stuff that was going on you know, in the Protestant colleges in like the 1700s, you're going to see happening in the 1900s in the Catholic schools. And, and it's basically true. So, mm-hmm. uh, and actually they talk about St. Mary's as one of the case studies in that book, oh, which wow. is kind of fascinating for me. So, yeah, we, we obviously want to talk um, and, and I will bring a little bit of the YRR back, which is uh, our general audience, but what is the, um, you know, you're there, the, the publishing, the courses online, you know, the podcast, what is, what is the direction um, that the Davenant Institute is, is going in? Um, and, and what kind of, what, what kind of impact are you trying to have on at Christian education in general? Yeah. So you asked me what I, wh- whether I was, and I said, I wasn't a Roman sure. Catholic. So I should say what I am. And sure. I would say I'm a reformed Catholic. Um, so uh, happily wear the Catholic label, um, but also ha- happily would say that I think the Catholic faith is best articulated in the magisterial Protestant Reformed confessions, you know, mm-hmm. Westminster, Augsburg, things like this. Um, and, and actually that there's sort of a, a lot more overlap in uh, what these traditions mean um, than, than we often give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what Davenant, when Davenant began, it actually began as a way of recovering uh, and 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 resourcing and and frankly translating um, you know the vast 
piles of literature that's still only available in Latin uh, from the early Reformation era. Um, and, and other bits of that literature, which while it was written in English or has been translated in English, hasn't been updated or, or translated anew or, or modernized. And so, you know, Richard Hooker's uh, Ecclesiastical Laws of England, uh, we have a modernization of that. I have a modernization of Thomas Traherne's Christian Ethics, uh, which is from the same era. It's sort of Shakespearean English, um, but, you know, because we don't read these documents regularly, we're not as familiar with them as we are with like the King James Bible or with... Um, <clears throat> or with Shakespeare's plays, you know, Hamlet or something along these lines. And so I, I think there is a, a genuine value in bringing these texts um, back out, even just um, in in getting them available for a reasonable price, right? Because mm -hmm. if you currently want to go find, you know, one of these books, oftentimes the cost is quite prohibitive. And that was the case for um, Peter Martyr Vermigli, right? So, so he's one of the early Protestant reformers that most people just don't have a clue who he is, uh, partially because he's Italian and the Italian Reformation never took off uh, in the way that it did in Northern Europe. And we could, we could talk some about that. Um, so we wanna, we wanna bring all these resources, right? There's this richness and depth of resources um, that, that I think Protestants, even in my generation, and certainly in generations before who were interested in the life of the mind, they're interested in philosophy, you know, bigger ideas, they go and they, they get their college education. And if you do that, you, you tend to find a bunch of very philosophically sophisticated Roman Catholics who tell you that if you want sort of the, the stuff beyond the Bible, right? Like, and I don't mean more, more deep, more true, any of that. All I mean is you've got the Bible and you've got the world around you and you know that the world has this history and people have written stuff. So if you, if you want to go from the Bible and connect and start thinking about how the Bible relates to all this other stuff, you know, Roman Catholics have a very sophisticated account of how those things fit together. And um, I think you saw generations of young, uh, brilliant Protestant folk from good Christian families becoming Roman Catholic, mostly because there wasn't any organization that could help them think through all of these questions in the way that the reformers did, right? And, mm -hmm. and so we have that resource yeah. and we, we wanna just be the storehouse that, that makes that available to people. That was really how it started. Um, how it's going, uh, we still do all that. So we have a, we have the Davenant Press where we publish these things. We have a magazine, Ad Fontes, where we continue the conversation, right? Um, we, we bring uh, lots of, of good, you know, Christians of good faith together in one place to, to write articles and, and the website does that as well. We have the Davenant House Study Center, which is sort of a Labrie experience where you can go and, and, you know, we have, I think, summer interns, two summer interns there right now. Um, who are, or maybe there's three at this point. Uh, I think there was another one who showed up late, uh, you know, late, later in June. Uh, I was just there a few weeks ago. And then the, the newest uh, offering is really Davenant Hall, which is, um, you know, I would say of the pieces of, of the Davenant Institute, it's the part that's closest to my heart. It's, it's the thing that I've put the most blood, sweat and tears into. Um, and we're, we're trying to uh, refound the medieval university for the digital frontier. Uh, we want to, we offer courses um, four terms a year. Uh, they're mostly online, though Though there are some that are offered at Davenant House. Um, students who come to Davenant Hall can, can get their degree and go into pastoral ministry. Uh, they can go into uh, teaching. So a lot of students are thinking about sort of just going directly into the classical teaching or, or go on to graduate study um, and, you know, in hopes that God has a vocation for them in service to the church somehow that, that isn't quite seen by them yet. Um, and we want to be a space that facilitates that. You can get your degree from Davenant Hall for, uh, it, it's a two-year MA, 
equivalent degrees from from very good universities who I, I you know respect and from many universities that are not very good that I don't respect uh, are is going to cost you about thirty thousand dollars at Davin Hall it's going to cost you under ten thousand dollars and if you go on to finish a PhD in something that we've trained you for uh, we will give you a hundred percent of your tuition back uh, at the end of your PhD upon finishing why because we think that the point of this sort of deep formative Christian education should be freeing to you and it needs to free you so that you can be of service to the church um, because otherwise it's a waste. And you just see too many young people who go through the college system. They go on to graduate school. They go on and finish a PhD. By the end of it, they're over a hundred thousand dollars in debt and they have to go, you know, sell real estate um, to make ends meet. There's nothing wrong with selling real estate. Uh, my, my grandparents sold real estate. My mother sold real estate for part of her career. Um, it's a it's a wonderful location. Christians need to be doing it. You're looking to buy a house. I'm sure you're appreciating some real estate agent out there uh, who's right. helping you. Um, but but if your vocation and your training uh, and and the calling God has put in your life is somehow to be of service to the church with your mind, um, you you need some material basis from which to do that. And we really want to figure out how we can facilitate that. And so, you know, we're we're an actual nonprofit, unlike a lot of these universities who say that they're nonprofits. Um, you know, but, but we really are trying to give the education away for free. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. That I love, awesome. I love the vision. Um, very, uh, very excited about what you guys are doing. One of the things that I've told many young men, uh, who ask me about seminary is I will tell them, listen, the amount of debt that you have to go into to get, uh, your degree at a seminary is, um, is really probably not worth it for most people. And I would highly recommend you look into other things. And lately I've been able to tell people, Hey, maybe you should look into Davenant because of, of what you guys are doing there. Um, so yeah. I'm really thankful for what and you're we've doing. We've seen a number of people uh, actually transfer out of seminaries and, and join up with very good seminaries and join up with us and say, you know, the quality of your education is, is better than what I left behind and costs me a third as much. Yep. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, let's, so we, we kind of zeroed in right away on Davenant, but I want to back up um, and just kind of do a little bit more broadly. What do you think is kind of the landscape of higher education right now? Um, and how, you know, whatever that may be, how then did we kind of get to the place that we're at? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I was accused uh, by one of my very good friends who, you know, the, the best critics are always friends uh, mm -hmm. of, of writing in a recent article, something that they said was too pessimistic and nostalgic. And, and I said, I actually don't think you read my article very closely. Um, uh, there's an article up by me on, on Ed Fontes uh, website that I just published. I think it was yesterday. Um, why do I say I don't think it was either nostalgic or pessimistic? Because if you read the article closely, one, I'm not actually saying we need to go back to some sort of like halcyon days. I don't I don't think that like, you know, 1950s America um, had it right. I don't think that 1850s American education had it right. I don't think we know uh, exactly how it's going to look in the future. I know it's not going to look like it's going to look in the past. You can see that if you actually look at the institutions that I highlight, um, None of them are institutions who are saying what we really need to do is build a great big brick and mortar campus. Um, you know, none of them are saying that that the primary problem is like modernity. You know, they're all they're all institutions that recognize that where we are is a place where we, we're on the Internet. You know, that's how we're talking to each other today. This is a fact of life. It's not going to disappear. Uh, modernity has happened. Um, 
there's going to be a massive need for people to get an education. And that education is going to have to do two things. One, it's going to have to actually form people uh, in some creedal way. Uh, but also, too, it's going to have to help people find a way to make a living uh, in the midst of the modern economic situation. And so, you know, we're all just trying to figure out what those two things are. I think we're in a really exciting moment. Um, I think Davenant Hall is sort of right at the tip of the spear of trying to figure out what that's going to look like uh, for the future. But of course, we're not alone. I mean, there's a lot of great institutions out there um, who are who are doing both of those things. Um, I, I happen to think that we're, you know, one of the best at, at one side of it, which is the sort of thinking through creedal formation, sort of what is it to do liberal arts? How do you train your mind? Um, all of those things. I, I think we're doing a pretty excellent job. So can you, um, so one of the things um, I read the article that you put out uh, and uh, you talk about kind of the, the nihilism that people are trained in, in the modern university system. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I would say the traditional university system uh, that most sort of people who say I'm going to go to college are, are getting their education inside of the average experience at this point um, has has very little basis in anything beyond a job, and this is most clearly seen if you ask people, you know, why why are you here? Um, you know, why are you here to get this degree? And the number one most common answer is, I'm here to get a job. Well, why are they saying that? They're saying that because they've been taught to say that because it's on all the pamphlets and all the advertising. It's in every news article that says why young people, you know, why why are politicians supporting young people going and getting these degrees? Uh, why are they at sort of giving a thumbs up and a gold star to their debt uh, that they're taking on? It's because they're going to, it's going to be good for the economy. Mm -hmm. It will, it, you know, on one level, that's sort of not nihilist, nihilism. And so that's why I say it's sort of nihilism light for most of the students. So I think most college students don't actually experience this as nihilism because that kind of feels like a real goal. And, and that is a real goal on some level. There's a, there's a material need that I have as an embodied being to go out there and find a way to put food in my body. Um, but at, at a deeper level, I think more philosophically sophisticated students are going to ask the question, well, what is money? Like, what's the point of that? And, um, and, and as Aristotle, as, as people have known, at least since Aristotle, uh, money is not a point. It, it is not an end. Um, it's always a means. It's, a, it's an externalization of desire and so all, all you're really saying to young people then, if you're saying the point of college education is to go get a job so that you can get more money, if, if it's really about money, you're just saying, well, it's just all about kind of desire. And what's the point of desire? It's like, well, there's no, there's no real point there. Mm -hmm. And so I think philosophically sophisticated students go through this process um, and they see that it's just kind of, there's nothing there. Um, and so they might you know, sort of cynically make appeals to justice or something like that, but they know that justice is really just power. You know, in in, a, in the way that Foucault uh, points out, it's just what I want, right? It's just different competing interests saying I want, yeah. um, and that's a really dangerous way to form uh, the elite of a society, right? The if, mm. if that's what the smart ones are learning, uh, then I think that explains some of sort of how we got where we are. Yeah, I I think the great example if you're if you're wanting to follow along, how can we? How can you? What's the like most common example that everyone comes in contact with that are you'd be familiar with is when it's the the example is how the right and the left argue the right makes pragmatic good for the right like a, like for example libertarians that is a that is a total moral like uh philosophical perspective 
But when you meet them and they talk to like, what well, you know, normies or whatever, they're like, well, it's good for the economy. It will help you. And, and then you meet someone either trained in a university or just far on the left. And they're like, well, um, not participating in this is violence, right? It's right. They're using these ultimate mm-hmm. terms that um, we're, we're not very well uh, educated in. And so, right. Again, even the doctrine of the, of Protestant vocation is so much bigger than you got to make enough money to survive, right? Their understanding of vocation for people with way more limited opportunities, you know, coming out of the 1500s in Germany um, was way bigger than that, right? You know, it's, it's shrunk so much. Yeah, if, if the, and so to put it, I think you're sort of, uh, are, are you familiar with Darren Beatty? A so like bit, you know yeah. his 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 category that i think mirrors some of what you're saying is that on the on the right there's sort of like their flag says don't tread on me and on the left it silences violence and silence is violence always wins because it's uh it's imperialistic right yeah, because that's, that's who i'm quoting that's just i yeah i, I haven't yeah. heard it for a while yeah 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 and and um and i think yeah the the, the third thing the, the way that i would want to respond to that is not well the right needs to get some sort of imperialistic language to sort of combat what's going on on, on the left I would just say, no, uh, you're both wrong. The, and the Protestant conception of vocation, which is exactly what I, I think we're talking about at Davenant, um, would be fulfill your nature, right? right? That, yeah. that you have some sort of God-given nature. All, all of reality is not some mm-hmm. sort of war of all against all in a weird Hobbesian sense. Uh, you know, you're put on this earth for some reason and, and sort of live that out, um, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy. Uh, and that, that would be what I would hope for my students. Yeah. I've been reading uh, Wendell Berry's The Unsettling of America, and uh, he has a chapter on basically the problem of specialization. And he talks about how people have been specialized and they go to a university, for instance, to be specialized in such a like specific way that they're not actually able to be formed as a whole person, right? That they're part of their humanity in a sense is... Uh, taken away from them. So he points out at one point, you know, somebody can specialize in education, but not actually know anything, you know, like there's this weird uh, way that, you know, in our specialization, we've taken away the possibility to be formed in that whole way. And I think, um, I think that's what I hear when you're talking about this kind of nihilism within the university system as it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think there's a real problem when you have educators so, you know, the number one made one of the fastest growing majors is education. The number one major of uh, people who go into teaching is education. And it's that's disturbing mm-hmm. uh, because it means they're not learning something. So yeah. so university education is supposed to be a study of some piece of reality. And it's very unclear what it is that these people are studying when they study education. It's a it's a very like loose, you know catch-all it's the peak of credentialism right because you get this degree because it's the degree that most closely matches what you know the the public school system is saying that they want from educators like oh well i majored in education great then you can educate people but what are they educating people in education you know it's uh right (laughs) oh man yeah that's brutal I, I i think that skepticism actually to bring this uh just a little bit to our show when I think we've talked about the the um, attitudes amongst evangelicals and even on the kind of more new Calvinist views. I think that there are kind of 
there became and and we i don't know if we'll get to um the the attitude of the elite later but right in the circles right if you take driscoll right driscoll i'm 100 self-taught I, I read a book a day that's what you got to do right it was this total like a degree is is this credentialism right saying that my minister should be trained is credentialism right that's not you know that is you know it's either an impediment or at least not not necessary right um and then now i am nearly completing a seminary degree um and what you then found is a lot of the older YRR people, so they got into ministry and then they were like, wow, I've got a lot of questions. And so then they enrolled, <laughs> you know, in some kind of a, uh, is it, yeah, we've, we've a, had somebody uh, on the show who, the way he put it was, you know, like guys would go plant a church and then go to seminary. That wow, was kind I've of got the a lot of questions. And mm-hmm. so, and so I think that these two, right. There, there was, there was both a skepticism of, it's just funny because it contains both skepticism towards higher learning, especially for Christians. And then secondarily, it's the last ditch effort. Maybe, maybe this seminary has answers for me that I can't find. And so I don't know. Um, And maybe it's this, this lack is kind of where even your, your interest and passion for reviving this is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, unlike Mark Driscoll, I'm a very slow reader. Um, so, uh, I'm very impressed by his, uh, his, no. his ability to sort of plow through those books. Um, uh, I, you know, when I, I think there's a real danger in sort of claiming that we can all be autodidacts. And one of the interesting things that we found is that the early adopters, the, the sort of first class of people who started showing up in 2019, when we launched Avenant Hall were mostly autodidacts. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, Autodidacticism, I think, is on the rise as actual learning is sort of disappearing from university yeah, education. Sure. So people, you know, there's a, even a line in that essay that I, I put out where I, I heard from somebody who went to a really good school who sort of emailed me and said, you know, I really learned everything that I know on the Internet. Mm. And so it's like, you know, they're sort of paying all this money <laughs> to go to this yeah. like fancy, really fancy school. And then and then their actual education sort of taking place online, which is, of course, very scary because the Internet is a is a is a big place and there's all sorts of things going on there. So I think there's there's genuine concern behind um, all these calls that we need to sort of censor the Internet. We need to sort of like suss out who the, where the fake news is. And, you know, I, I think there's not nothing to all that. Um, so <clears throat> the problem is, um, is not you know, that we have these institutions where people need to go to to get learning and that the they then get a sticker that says like, yeah, I really learned this stuff. You know, the problem is just with like the state of the contemporary institutions and that and that comes in two different uh, flavors uh, of problems. So one is there's a problem with content um, and then the other one is there's there's a problem with with structure um, that, that that has to do with sort of financing and, and the actual work of what's going on inside of these things. And those are distinct problems, uh, but they're sort of compounding um, into into one sort of major problem, um, such that at the end of it, you really just can't trust these credentials anymore, right? So, I mean, I have a friend who works in tech. Uh, He he built a reasonably successful tech company, sold it, and now he started a different thing that's also in sort of education technology space. And he'll say, you know, I... I, um, he actually has a preference, you know, he, he, there are certain degrees where he won't even hire people mm. because he's like, I just know that people with these degrees are not going to be that it's just a degree that says I'm going to be difficult to work with. Um, 
and then and then uh you know he says and actually even beyond the degrees he's like i don't even really look beyond that so he uses it mostly to filter candidates out wow um and then and then he's like what can this person do right i have some job and i need to figure out if they're competent at that job uh so i i think that's that's just it's i just bring it up because it's telling um it's telling and and what we need to do is find a way to build institutions that um that where their credential means something, right? And so what, what would it mean if you get your degree from Downton Hall? It means you broadly have a, you have a, you have a very deep and broad understanding of what, uh, what Protestantism means in, a, in both a historical and a contemporary context. Um, it means that you can think very closely. Uh, it means that you can, you know, it, you, you can follow logical arguments. Um, you can read with a great high, high degree of detail. And it means that you have the intellectual horsepower to learn another language. Um, if you can't pass our conversational, uh, you know, Latin class about, uh, uh, you know, a primary Latin source text in Latin, right, Aviva in Latin, you can't get your degree. Right. And most seminaries uh, at this point, you know, you barely have the ability to sort of like use a concordance at the end. Uh, and, and that's not to put shade on any pastors. Life is very hard. Uh, but but shame on the seminaries uh, for letting us get there. Well, and and this is why we all look back in awe that right that at the end you were expected to debate in classical Greek, right? Mm -hmm. In the uh, in the old old world institutions that the right. church used to source its pastors from. And this is where I think the 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 Driscoll end of the young restless and form crowd uh, is really off base and is just profoundly misled. Hmm. Uh, because if you look at the history of the Reformation, one of the core complaints of the early Reformation was that the Roman Catholic clergy were a bunch of idiots. Yeah. And you you know, and the point of having a pastor is that the pastor is not an idiot. The pastor is a leader. There's somebody who people turn to because they have wisdom and they have learning that people in town, you know, might want. They're the person who you need to be able to come to and, and they will know sort of competent, deep, you know, answers to uh, to pressing questions that people have about the nature of reality. Uh, even in the Westminster, um, it's not the confession, but in the early uh, document that goes along with Westminster, it's like the, the book of order, like the first version. You didn't even have to learn Greek, which is fascinating, provided uh, this was their one caveat. They're like, you don't actually have to be able to sort of be a Greek scholar, provided you have other natural knowledge of a sufficient depth, right, huh. that you could sort of like overall the community. So, so, you know, theoretically, they would have taken you as a pastor in Scotland if you were like the best biologist in town. Huh. And you were also a, a deep believing Christian who is good uh, and, and, you know, of good character, uh, competent at, at uh, discussing the word and, and preaching the gospel, right? That could be a pastor. Wow. And, and I do think one of the other issues, because um, a lot, because I came through the wire, I, I mean, right, I've read a lot. I'm, I'm, uh, I am, yeah, in many ways, I've followed a self-taught model and now I'm in <clears throat> seminary. So, you know, you can. But what, but what I think is important is even the, the most well-read self-taught people, which I guess at this point is Mark Driscoll, if he's continued that pace for the, his entire life, his adult life. Um, the problem is, is that it's still entirely self-selected. 
right? I am in seminary um, and because I go to a good seminary, but again, many, much of it is, is somewhat review because of, again, as they'll, they'll tell you, you can listen to an interview with Ligon Duncan saying, we're having people who don't have the Westminster shorter catechism memorized coming, right? We need, you know, we have to catch them up, but, but even me, it's like, oh, wow, I am now reading and engaging with things I would have never self-selected into, right? And, and important things, right? And that um, now, obviously, the, this is one of the great things about Davenant is the, is the actual translation and the, that engagement. But, and then beyond that, a, a education, what you're talking about is it is aiming at something more than just a skill, right? It is aiming at, right, as you said, living out your nature, right? We, and part of that communion with God, right? If you're in seminary, if you're doing theological education, right? This is, this is something that I think is often missed when it's like, well, we, you can, you know, take the syllabuses from a good seminary and read it all, you know, there's still something you're missing um, in this way. Yeah, you know, the autodidact, um, you know, eventually, if they're honest with themselves, gets to a point where they have questions that they need to take to other people about how to put all this stuff together. Um, right. And also the, the second problem with autodidacticism is, is actually similar to the, kind of just the problem of hanging out in your circle on Twitter, uh, because, and I don't mean your circle, I mean anyone's circle, because, <laughs> you know, there's an algorithm that is based on what you like and what the algorithm thinks you like. Yeah, right. And of course you're doing the similar thing all the time as you wander around and decide like, should I read this or should I read that? It's like, oh, that's written by so-and-so, I don't wanna read that. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe there's something there. Um, you know, if there's a problem with um, autodidactism, also sort of you're the smartest person in the room. And that's not just autodidactism. That can happen if you go to a university and then you sort of, you know, read, continue reading. You sort of think highly of yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, what what anyone who's pursuing the life of the mind needs is other people to disagree with them. And uh, it's profoundly helpful at, at forcing you to sharpen your thinking, clarify your responses, clarify your answers, not make sloppy uh, arguments, not take shortcuts. And uh, one of the most common things we hear when people show up at Davenant for one of our conferences or they just kind of get involved on the Davenant Discord server that we have or, or whatever is, you know, like I was the smartest person in my circles at my church. And, you know, you sort of show up at Davenant and, and no one feels like they're the smartest person there, right? Because everyone there knows, you know, the biologist from that town and the physicist and the whatever, right. and the Greek scholar are all sort of there hashing it out, which, which I think goes back to why is it that the, those early reformers would have taken you if you were the eminent natural philosopher of your town, um, you know, and you happen to be a Christian and you knew how to preach and you, you had the Bible and they wanted you for vocational ministry, why would they take you as a vocation? Well, the reason it has to do with the ancient, you know, Judeo-Christian um, and, and Greco-Roman understanding of knowledge, which gets synthesized that, that all knowledge is somehow connected and rooted in God. Hmm. That if you really study biology and you're just attentive and, and you're thinking closely about biology, it eventually does take you back to theology, right? There hmm. ends up being a moment where you recognize the necessity of theology to all knowledge. Um, and, and, you know, that, that kind of thinking, uh, I, I really want us to recover. I want us to figure out how to, how to do that. Um, modern universities don't. Right. Yeah, Have no, you I found, so Matt brought up uh, League and Duncan, um, and I sat in on a uh, 
seminar that he did a few years ago at one of the uh, PCA general assemblies. Um, so that, you know, kind of big gathering of our denomination. And, and uh, he was giving a, an address on the state of theological education specifically. And he mentioned this kind of what Matt said, but he said, you know, like this has been, it's increasingly difficult um, on the seminary level because more and more we're getting men who don't have near the training up to this point that we would have expected years ago. So he gave just the example when he was growing up, like, you know, if you went into the seminary, like you have uh, for sure um, in a reform seminary, you for sure have the shorter catechism memorized. You have significant uh, work done within uh, reform theology. You know, massive amounts of the scripture. Um, that's just, and that's just because of going to church, you know, like this is just what you would get uh, on the everyday kind of Sunday school level. And then you kind of fast forward to today, and he's like, we have guys coming into the seminary who have never read the whole Bible. And he's like, what do you do with that? And he was kind of explaining, you know, what they do. But have you seen this uh, at Davenant? It just seems objectively true that, I mean, education on every level is below what we maybe would have once expected. Yeah, I mean... I'm not sure I see it so much at Davenant, but it is a real phenomenon, and I'm sure it's influencing Davenant. But one, one reason why it's hard to sort of say whether or not we see it there is we're, we're a very small institution. Students tend to be self-selecting. They, yep. they kind of know right. going in um, that they're going to have these, you know, really beefy, uh, you know, exams in Latin and stuff by the end. Right. Um, and, and so certainly um this is a, a, a real phenomenon oh and then and also we have a ton of auditors so i would say actually the majority of our students are not credit-bearing students the majority of our students mm. are pastors elders missionaries people who've been through seminary people who have, have been through a phd even who are looking for an intellectual community um they're looking for uh, a continuation of their education in some branch that they haven't learned before um and and you know and so, again, very self-selecting uh, group of, of learners um, and often actually quite fun. You know, when, when I teach my undergraduates, I'm almost never intimidated by the people in the room. Uh, you know, it's and yet when I teach at Davin Hall, it's regularly the case that there's someone in the room, who, like I said, in a class that I'm teaching who knows far more than I do about several sort of subjects, even sometimes closely related subjects, right? And, and yet I still sort of have to be there to teach them, you know, Plato or Aristotle or whatever it is that I'm there to teach them. Um, so, but the, but the phenomenon is real. Um, I, I think part of it just, it just comes down to um, a, a loss of uh, the, the broadly sort of Christian national culture of the United States of America. Hmm. Um, you know, we, there just is not, uh, the backdrop that this is stuff folks should know. Um, I think, uh, there's, it's probably the case that, um, you know, the church has also had some response to that, uh, which was not great. I think the sociologist Christian Smith, uh, from Notre Dame, I don't know if you know, his work is, has done some of the best work on this sort of thinking through, moralistic therapeutic deism is sort of his famous line but the the stuff that's fascinating is actually how did you know his analysis of how did we get from a place where you know for example i i was on sunday mornings you know i would go to church and i would have a bible study and, and i'm not even that old right I'm, I'm at the older end of the millennials um but my family maybe was slightly more traditional than than average and and you know at the bible study i'm, I'm sort of expected to know where all the books of the bible are um 
I'm expected to have memorized, you know, large chunks of scripture. Um, and this, this was in a fairly, you know, liberal mainline church, um, you know, 30 years ago, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, one, one thing I've noticed is, um, you know, lots of churches will, will tell the youth group or the children, you know, what page number of the Bible we're going to rather than sort mm-hmm. of what book and, and chapter and verse. So I, I, I'm not, I don't have the solution to everything. Um, but I do know that this is a problem. And I think at least one solution is finding the ways and the places where you can keep the standards as high as possible. Um, and then just sort of like doing everything in your power to help people jump over those. And, and at the very least, I'll just say, that's my vocation, right? Is, mm-hmm. is to try to help those who are interested in figuring out how to jump over um, those higher branches, figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it was certainly my experience, the exact experience you described at seminary when I went there and I sat in on a, my first lectures through Romans and we were doing extensive Greek work and I looked around and I went, oh man, I'm dumb guy here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was just like, it was just like, I'm not, you know, this is, I'm now engaging all, everyone here can engage at the level or, you know, again, maybe there are subjects I'm for, just like you said, maybe there are subjects I would have some more expertise in, but there are certainly many that I am, would be remedial compared to my peers at this point. And, and that's actually good, right? I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what, yeah, learning, that's what learning is supposed to feel like. It's, it, yep. you know, look at, I look at my four-year-old and she's learning all the time. And you think about how difficult and sort of how destabilizing we forget because, you know, they're so used to that experience at that point in their lives. And we're, it's so foreign to us. But if you're actually trying to learn and grow and sort of gain some new skill, you have to sort of get back into your toddler brain, right? That's how I talk mm-hmm. to young people about it. It's like, you just have to be comfortable, right? You have to love failing. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we should get get ready to let Colin out of here. This has been really great. Colin, are there any, uh, either, either uh, a person listening, getting just interested to see kind of what Davenant's about? Is there a podcast or book that you would point them to if just to like start thinking, not necessarily about educational theory, but maybe just about the kinds of this classical, this reformed Catholic idea that we, we, um, that I think is, is something we should recover and something we should prize and would, would bless anyone listening to it right now, listening to us now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, obviously please, uh, do check out the Ad Fontes podcast of which I'm one of the co-hosts, um, and, and Reese Laverty and Ansi Camel and I, uh, are often discussing topics like this on there. Um, but, I think uh, specifically on the issue of education, we had a convivium uh, last year, which is our sort of name for an annual national conference on education. Uh, There's a collection of essays that are going to come out later this summer Mm -hmm. called Reforming Education or Reforming Classical Education. I'm going to get it wrong. And and Reese Laverty, who runs the press, is going to get angry at me, but that's fine. Um, And so I I would recommend if if that's your thing to check that out. And then I'll also plug, uh, we're having another sort of one day conference in Florida uh, in September, I think it's like September 9th and 10th around then, um, you know, that'll also be on education. And so we're going to have, uh, Ben Markle from new St. Andrews college. will be there. I'll be there. Uh, Dale Stenberg. I, I can't remember. I think Nathan Johnson is, is the other speaker. And then of course there'll be lots of interesting people. There'd be a good way to plug into the, to the network and the community and, and get to meet people, um, face to face, but I'm easy to find on, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, you know, whatever, uh, I'm not on I'm not on TikTok yet, but maybe I can uh, maybe I can be persuaded by uh, by your fans. Yeah. <laughs>
thank you to our new friends at the Davenant Institute for joining us for this interview. I hope you are all doing well this summer. Actually, we recorded some purely Presbyterian episode available to all our patrons at the Presbyterian level and above. And I think that discussion with Colin, which covers communism, a Calvinist Christian empire, the beauty of Jesus, and ending with the encouragement that it's all going to be all right, is worth the price of admission. Hey, have a good summer. We will catch you next time.